Well, it was uh, um, over the past four decades, speaking of missions, uh, probably one of the greatest authorities on what we call missiology has been a group called Mission Frontiers. Uh, Mission Frontiers uh, is, has really been involved in the study of missiology, which is really nothing more than um, why do we send missions and how do we do it and those type of things. What, what is the, what's the reason for it and, and what's the most effective methods and, and those type of things. So we're involved in this missiology and they've been kind of the experts. And I happened to run across recently a... Um, it was an article from one of their past 18, 19-year-old magazines. I think it was January, February 1998. And it was entitled in this article, this missionology or missions magazine uh, was called The Great, Three Great Truths About God. What are, and I, got, I saw that, like three great truths about God. What would they be? And as I turned the article when I saw the first great truth about God was that God loves the world. And that certainly is a truth, and it's a truth that if we've been around the church for very long, if you grew up in the church or if you happen to watch a sporting event and you see some guy with John 3.16 painted on his chest or something like that, you know, for God so loved the world. And we know God loves the world. That's a great truth about God. And we believe that. But there's a second great truth, and it's an exciting truth, and it's that God has unlimited resources to reach the world. God has unlimited resources to reach that world. Psalm 24, 1, the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God's resources are unlimited. And if you've been part of the services the last few months or even two weeks ago, you heard that through the feeding of the 5,000. If you remember, I said, you know, I don't really think the demand did not make any difference to Jesus. It was the supply. It didn't make any difference if that was 5,000 men, 50,000 men, 500,000 men. Jesus could feed that many. Jesus can do it because his supply is unlimited. In fact, back in August, we had the story of Elijah, and he went to a widow at Zarephath, and all they had was a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, not even enough for one meal. And he says, tell you what, you take that, make bread and give it to me, the supply will be unlimited until it rains when you don't need it anymore. And so God's supply is unlimited. He loves the world. God's supply, he has unlimited resources to reach the world. And then three, he wants to channel those resources through his people to reach the world. God channels these resources through his people. God loves the world. God has unlimited resources to reach the world. But he chooses to reach the world and he uses us as channels to reach the world. If you're a business person, we become part of God's supply chain. You know, the supply chain is how you get the goods or services from the, from the producer to the end user, the customer. We have this supply chain that we got to go through, and, and we work hard in business at making that supply chain as efficient and as, as uh, effective and as cheap as possible because we want to be able to get those goods to the end user. And God says, I have these unlimited resources that I have to get to an end user. I have to get to the people who are in need. I have to get to the people who have not heard the gospel, the people that are hurting, the people who are devastated. I have to do that, and the way I will do that 
is through the channels of his people. Three great truths about God. And I read that and I thought about that and how true and what a privilege it is to be part of God's supply chain. He's depending on me. He's depending on us to be the intermediary, the one who takes his resources and gets them to the world. How cool is that? And I think Paul understood that. Paul understood it very well. And I think you don't see it any more clearly than when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. These are two great chapters, not only on generosity, but why we are to be generous. Why it is that we are called to give. And so we see this. We don't have time to read. In fact, it would probably be a better sermon if I just read chapters 8 and 9. They are great. I encourage you to do that. So we're not, but we're not going to do that. We're going to stop and always look at a few verses and talk about those this morning. But take time to read those other chapters when you get a chance. But it starts off in verse 1 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul starts by giving what I call the example. He says, I want to give you an example of somebody who has been very, very generous. And we need just a little back drop to this story. It was actually in 1 Corinthians, just back a few chapters, chapter 16, that Paul said, the church in Jerusalem has a big need. They are in serious trouble. They are being persecuted. They have, they have desperate needs. Can anybody come up and help? And he appeals to the churches. He appeals to those churches that he had been through, that he had started across Macedonia and across Greece and others. And he says, can you help? And it says here that he looked back and now he's writing to those Corinthians who are in Greece, and he says, I want to give you a little clue as to what's going on. He said, people have been faithful. They've been responding. Let me tell you what the Macedonians are doing. you got to understand, the Macedonians and the Greeks weren't always that friendly. They weren't enemies, but they're might, what you might call Rivals. And political rivals. Greece was to the south and Corinth was in Greece. And Macedonia was to the north. And some of the churches that, that Paul had founded, Berea and Thessalonica and uh, Philippi, they were all there. And those churches had appealed. And, they had, and Paul says here, they have responded. They've done a great job. And it it's might be a, kind of a, a, a nice little needling by Paul. Because this, this would kind of be, if he was writing to us in northeast Ohio, it would be like saying... Look what those people up in Michigan are doing. Michigan? Nah. You know, know, we got that rivalry there. We don't want to be outdone by folks in Michigan. You know, he's like, yeah, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. That's what he's doing here. He says, look what those folks in Macedonia are doing. In fact, those in Greece a lot of times referred to the Macedonians as the barbaric northerners. Sounds like what I refer to Michigan as sometimes. Yes. Yeah, you know, we have, this, we have this rivalry. And so he's just kind of digging it in, maybe just a little bit kindly, just saying, hey, you know, they're doing it and they're doing it. But, but what's even re- more remarkable than that, it's not just remarkable that the Macedonians are doing it, but they are going through some very severe trials. In fact, if you go back to the Greek and, and start looking at the words he chose, it's, it's, it's pressure from outside. They're under severe pressure. And, and 
And the Macedonia area wasn't necessarily that poor. It wasn't a poor area of the world at that time. But the Christians that were there were likely being persecuted. They were likely maybe having difficulties in jobs, maybe in, in other ways where they became poor. And so he said they have this very, very uh, severe trial coming over them. But he says this, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Have you ever, I, I love those little, watching a beaker and a science guy and he pours this in and he pours this in and it kind of goes, you know, and, and, and explain. Well, this is kind of what this, he's, he's got two ingredients here and there are two ingredients that in my mind do not add up for rich generosity. Well, overwhelming joy does, but extreme poverty? In, 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 rich, in rich generosity, He's saying there's two ingredients here that are making this happen. It's overwhelming joy, <laughs> and it's this extreme poverty. Put them together, and it overflows. It is overflowing in this, in this rich generosity. And, and he says, this is amazing. These are people that are, these are people that, <clears throat> by the way, they're from Michigan. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Macedonia. They're from Macedonia, and they're in extreme poverty. They're, they're, their trials are coming, but they're, they're generous, and they're pouring it out. And, and so we read this, and we say, okay, Paul, what's the, what's the key here? He gives us the key, and it's in verses 3 through 5. He says this, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. I see three things in here that are the keys as to why people who are in extreme poverty, but yet overflowing joy could have rich generosity. And the first thing I see is they gave as much as they were able. And they said, they made up their mind, we're going to give as much as we are able. I said a couple weeks ago, God asks, never asks us to give what we don't have. He, but they, so this scripture leads us to believe that this is not an emotional response. This is not a, oh my goodness, that was wonderful. Let me empty out my pockets, empty out my bank account and go live in, in desperate poverty. No, this is well thought out. Okay, what am I able to give? This is when you sit down at your table and get your budget out and say, okay, what am I able to give? And they said, okay, here's what I'm able to give. But then Paul adds something and then they went beyond it. They, they, they thought about, okay, what is it I can live on? What is it that I need? And then they went beyond it. It says later in the passage, he even exceeded our expectations. He said he blew us away. How cool is that? Wow, these people are responding out of their poverty. So they, they gave as much as they were able. Then two, they gave entirely on their own. It was a free choice. They weren't pressured. No one was twisting their arms. They gave entirely on their own. In fact, <laughs> Not only was it something they said we want to do, it says they pleaded. That word is begged. Have you ever been in a situation where someone needed money and you said, oh, can I please give it to you? Can I please, can I please? <laughs> They're begging. They're begging for the privilege. Did you get that? For the privilege, for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. 
He said, I'm begging to be involved, to be able to help, to be able to do something. And that, that sharing, the word, the, the Greek word there is koinonia. You've probably heard that. That's a word that many times is, is translated fellowship. I want to be in fellowship with people, not only just here in Corinth or here in Macedonia, but for those in need in Jerusalem. And Paul has called on them to, to give, give above what it takes to support your local church. He said, you know, you, you got to take care of that needs. This is for, this is needs to going out. This is going out to support others. And, they, and he says, yes, we, 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 we're going to give as much as we're able and we're going to give on our own. And then maybe the key, they gave themselves first to the Lord. The first thing they did was they gave themselves to God before they gave themselves to anybody else. Again, it was a couple weeks ago where I pointed out that the great commandment came before the great commission. Before we go, before we give, we got to make sure that we are fulfilling the great commandment. What is that? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. My first goal is to serve Christ. My first goal is to love Christ and to love what he's done for me. That's my first goal. And then my second goal is the second commandment is kind of like that. It's love your neighbor as yourself. I got to love my neighbor. And then I take that love for God and love for neighbor. And then I do what Paul says. Then you helped us. Once you got your priorities, once you, once you said, okay, um, I, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to look and see what I'm able to give. I'm going to even go beyond that. And I'm not gonna, I don't feel pressured. That's how they did it. That's how they did it. So that's the example. How about the challenge? The challenge starts in verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in it the love that we have kindled in you, stop there just a second, it's amazing to me that Paul is writing this to the same people that he wrote 1 Corinthians to. 1 Corinthians is kind of a spanking a little bit. It's, it's a group that's out of control, a church that's, that's, that's just lost its way. Now he's writing about a year later, and he's saying this, you excel in everything, in everything, in faith, in speech. You, 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 you understand, you think right, you talk right. Your knowledge, your complete earnestness, your, your character, and the love that you have kindled. And then he adds this. See also that you excel in the grace of giving. In all this spiritual growth that you've achieved, in, all, in, this, in this nature that you've taken on and this following Christ, and everything you're doing good, don't forget to be generous. Don't be greedy. Don't be selfish. Be generous. Be generous. See that you excel in the grace of giving. He continues in verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you this. I'm not commanding this to you. That's interesting to me. He says, I'm not telling you you have to do this. In fact, look at the example of the Macedonians. They did it on their own. So I'm not telling you you have to do this, but I want to test the sincerity of your love 
by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's saying, I think kindly, if they can do it in Michigan, <laughs> they can do it in northeastern Ohio. If the Macedonians can do it in the midst of their poverty, can't you do it? I want to compare. I want to compare your acts to those. And Are you excelling in the grace of giving? Then he says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Boy, there's a comparison. We've been comparing to the Macedonian church. Now he says, let's compare to Christ. People say, are we really, are missions something that's really important to God? What Paul is saying, I believe, is this whole book, from cover to cover, is a missionary story. From cover to cover, this is a story of God stepping out, out of his culture, out of his home, stepping out of where he was worshipped by everybody, every angel, every being that was around. And he stepped out and became poor for our sake. This book, every page of it, every chapter of it, is a missionary story of God reaching out to us when we didn't deserve it. A God reaching out to us when we couldn't do anything on our own, when we were helpless, and God reaching out to us when we were turning our back on him. That's what this story, whole story is. And Paul says, Christ came in his poverty so that you could be rich. In this case, Christ was that channel for God's resources. Christ became the channel. And he says, now Christ is gone, and you're the channel. Are you going to do it? Are you going to step up? And he said it's not a commandment. And then look at verse 10. He says this. And so here's my judgment. He, just, he says, you know, you want my two cents worth? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking is best for you. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. I think, uh, I think Paul's here saying, it's time to put your money where your mouth is. You started something, you said you wanted to do it, now do it. Finish it. Take care of it. There is this great need, and God is using you as a channel, and if you clog up that channel, God's work is not going to get done. People are going to suffer. People won't hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're going to be so concerned about just getting their next meal. Finish the work. As I read this this week, finish the work, finish the work, I got a little convicted because I had a little work to finish. I got to thinking about Faith Promise, and I might have mentioned, I don't know which service and when it was, but a couple weeks ago that um, we'd had our Faith Promise uh, commitment met in a really neat way. And it got me reflecting about God, what, what you've been doing. And, and I thought back, and Sheila and I were talking, and she reminded me of the very first time she made a faith promise commitment. Um, 
It was a number of years ago. We were young. Uh, we had a, a child, baby at home, and, and she quit work and was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, stay-at-home moms don't a lot of times have a great opportunity to make a lot of money. Uh, they keep busy, and they're very busy. So uh, faith promise time came, and not knowing what to do, she made a commitment of $100, which for her, when you don't know how you're going to get a penny, $100 seems like quite a lot. And so the months went by, and, and uh, her faith promise had come in, and, and kept, she kept praying about it. And, and finally, one day, her dad called. Her dad is a farmer, been a dairy farmer, uh, always was a dairy farmer all his life. And on his farm was a, what they would call the woods. And he said, you know, I've, uh, I've hired somebody to come in and clean out some of my woods, and I've sold some lumber, uh, and I've decided to give each of the kids some of the money. And he sent a check. She printed $100, and it was just over $100. And so when you see God work, and you say, wow, how cool is that? It, it challenges you to says, well, you know, as you get older and you have more means and you've had 30-some years in the workforce, a little more means. And so I could tell you a lot of other stories or stories in between what happened, but we came to last year. And I had some unfinished business because I've not yet turned in my check for Faith Promise last year. Um, as you have means, and our means have grown. And so I said this year, last year when we were doing this, arrived at an amount that was significantly more than 100, uh, but yet... Did it with a little trepidation because I've never done a faith promise where I wasn't out in the secular workforce. Uh, there seemed to be a lot more ways in my mind of coming up with money when I worked in the accounting field. Maybe a big new client would come in that year and we'd say, hey, that's from God. Or uh, I used to do a lot of expert testimony in, in business valuation cases in court. And some of them would go on for a lot of time and, and say, oh, yeah, one of those cases would come along and say, that's faith promise money and could do that. But being a preacher, you know, maybe a wedding, <laughs> they don't pay as much as uh, being an expert witness in a court case, you know. So, but we took, by faith, put in a mountain in here, and, and, and um, it was at the end of August, I believe. Sheila got a phone call. Again, this is her side of the family coming through. Uh, got a call from her aunt. Now, her aunt's not a lady of means. She... Uh, she was a Methodist, she is a retired Methodist preacher. She preached and served in the rural counties of Iowa. And so she would have two or three churches at a time, very small churches. But she would see preach at one one week and one the other week and one the other week and would make their, and so not a lady with much means. Never married, but lovely pastor. And over the years, she made friendship with another single lady. And this, they were just, they had been friends for many, many years. Another lady with, as far as she knew, not a lot of means. But this other lady, and I don't know if she knew this or not, had run in a few years ago to an inheritance. A uncle with much means passed away and left her significant dollars. Well, it just happened that this summer or this year, this lady passed away also then. And she left Sheila's aunt as a one-tenth beneficiary of her estate. And so the money came to Sheila's aunt, and she said, I don't need all this money. I, I'll go on vacation, schedule vacation, do some things. What I'd really like to do is give all my nieces and nephews a little bit of it. So she called her and said, um, I'm coming to town. I want to meet with you. 
So they met, and she's telling her this story, and said, here is the money, and gave her a check. And you know, it was exactly double our faith promise. And I looked at that, and I said, recently, in the last few days, I said, wow, faith promise and World Series tickets. <laughs> Sheila says, you're dreaming. <laughs> so, oh, you know, I'm doing this little dance. Woo-hoo, got our faith promise money. God came through again. Yeah, yeah, and all this. And, you know, great story and all that. And, and in the midst of that, though, I felt, and, and this is not God's words. This is my words. I felt him saying to me something like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot. And here's why. And this is my story. Don't, don't feel like I'm saying anybody's got to be this way. But here's, as I replayed in my mind over these last nine months, 12 months now, um, what I was doing all along, I'd made a, had a commitment, annual commitment. Okay, God, if you give it to me, great, you know. And so I'm sitting back here, and I'm in my easy chair at home. You know, you know how it is at night, and you're resting, and you get your changer, as I call it, the changer. Give me the changer. And I'm there, you know, watching this and watching that, your favorite shows. And, you know, always on DVR now, so you don't have to watch the commercials. So, uh, you know, watching, watching, you know, maybe a little snack here and there. Mm. Yes, ma'am. God, it's March. It's March, and you haven't given me any faith promise yet, so... Oh, well, back to watching TV. A little bit later, and I won't bother with the chips, but, you know, God, it's, it's, it's June. Boy, I sure hope some of the other people's faith promises coming in. <laughs> Boy, David's trying to good. If no one else is getting their faith promise, they're, they're going to be hungry down there in Jamaica. July, God, no faith promise yet. And I got to thinking, God looking down and saying, boy, you're exercising a lot of faith there, aren't you? Does it really take a lot of faith to sit back in your chair with your changer in your hand munching on your Doritos saying, well, God, if you give me the money, I'll give it. Is that faith? And I got spanked a little bit by God. <laughs> says, what kind of faith, what kind of faith is that? What kind of faith is it to sit back and say, well, I promised, I wrote down on a piece of paper, but no one's ever going to see that piece of paper. You know, so if God doesn't come through, you know, that's, that's, I guess the missionaries don't get their money, you know. What kind of faith is that? I read this this week. It says, the question is not how much can I trust God to give me a faith promise each week, but how much can I give to faith promise each week? and still trust God to meet my needs. I read that. I said, wow, have I got this messed up? I'm here waiting, doing nothing, waiting on God to bless money from heaven. What you did, I don't know why. <laughs> and said, here's your faith. And, and, but and it's telling me, Steve, what, what I really want you to do is to start putting that money in every month in January, in February, in March, in April, and trust me that I'm going to come through. That's faith. Faith is putting your money where your mouth is. Faith in Ecclesiastic 1, 
11.1, I think, is kind of defined as casting your bread on the water, taking a risk, and then it will come back to you. My faith was, was, I don't know if it was shallow, weak, or just lazy faith in God. This year, I'm going to say, Lord, I'm putting a mount on there. And I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just telling you my story. I'm going to put a mount on there, and I'm going to make sure that the goods are fed in January and not to wait till September. I'm going to make sure that Norbu and the church in, in Columbus has people to take care of them. I'm going to make sure that our ministries with uh, Alternaterm and, and the other organizations and, and Dave Byrne and others that we support, I'm going to make sure that they know that that money's coming on a monthly basis. And I'm not going to selfishly wait holding on to my money even though uh, it hasn't come in yet. Because I think in the end, the, 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 the quote I just read, I think God is probably providing in a lot of ways I never knew. He's allowing much more to not come into my life or to come into my life and blessings and holding off adversity. And so, you know, I may never be able to say this year that 2,500 came from this, oh, that money came from this spot. <laughs> um, you know, I, where does it come from? I don't know. How does he help us? I don't know. But God, God is true when we're faithful. When we're faithful. He wraps up this, this section. I had to deal with was I willing. Verse 12 says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to the one according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So I, you know, as I was thinking about this year's, and at this time, if you wouldn't mind, if you'd just take out your card, your faith promise card, it's, it was in your program. Hopefully you got one. And we're asking you to fill this out. And this is a promise. Uh, you know, I said no one's going to know. We keep these cards somewhere in case someone calls up and says, hey, how much did I commit? We need to go back and find them. But, you know, when we recorded, we didn't record them with names and stuff. We just said, here's, here's what they add up to. Here's what we believe God's going to send for us for budget this year for missions. Um, this year, mine's not going to be annual. That's me. I'm going to make it probably monthly because that's when we do our, our, our uh, tithe check. But I encourage you to think about just for a moment what God would have, I hope you've been praying about this. What would God have you this year above your giving to commit to giving to Faith Promise, to the missions program? There's some things, you know, in, in, in chapter 9, verse 7, um, I love what Paul says there. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. When we give willingly and without our arms twisted and out of hearts full of joy, we become cheerful givers. And when I'm a cheerful giver, I get a smile on my face. I tell you what puts a smile on my face. Here's a, here's a picture. This is Kenton, and uh, we have Kenton up there. Kenton and Tiffany. Uh, in January, when I went down to Jamaica, I got to pray with Kenton and Tiffany. We commissioned them as, as the friends, first friends evangelists, native Jamaican friends evangelists to the French churches. And if that wasn't neat enough, Pastor Jim, because of a lot of the 
funds have been coming from this church for Jamaica and some of the pressure we're putting on our denomination folks. Uh, we've been getting more involved and things are happening in Jamaica. But Pastor Jim was there this week working on organization and structure and helping him out. And now Canton has uh, taken the position and accepted the position as the first Jamaican friends overseer of the churches in Jamaica. Kenton and Tiffany are great. Just great people. Have great jobs in the, in, in the entertainment or the hospitality industry. Uh, but, but yet he's, he's so invested in the churches. Boy, you spend a few minutes with Kenton and Tiffany, you're just going to smile. They got two kids. This is one of them. The other one's in school at the time. It makes me smile when I get an email from a lady who says, I, you know, I can go to my job this week. It's a brand new job. I can go looking professional. I can go um, looking like I'm, I'm put together because I was able to go to Betty's Boutique and get some clothes this week. Thank you so much. I, I smile when I get those stories. When I get an email or we get a thank you note from somebody who's been to our back to school program and said, thank you for the children's supplies. Thank you for the physical. We couldn't have done it without that. Every now and then we get a thank you note from somebody in our, from our food pantry who's received blessings through our food pantry and says, thank you so much. Or we've helped in benevolence. Thank you so much. Those things make me smile. It makes me smile when yesterday uh, we had, I don't know how many kids here uh, getting evaluated for upward basketball, knowing that they're going to be here and hearing about Jesus and hearing and, and learning to play basketball and enjoying having, having fun. Makes me smile when I see Dennis Anthony and those folks working on that house for, for, for Friends of Recovery, knowing that there's going to be um, men in there who are going to be rescued and helped. I could probably go on and on. Makes me smile. When I smile, it makes me be a joyful giver because I know what, what I give, God's going to care. God's going to bless. So hopefully I've given you some time to think. What would you like to put on your card? Uh, we're going to ask you, you put your name on there. Why do you put your name on? Well, it's a promise between you and God. And uh, besides, if you ever call up and ask in the middle of the year what you, uh, <laughs> what you committed to, we have your name. We can go look it up. But you can tear off the other section and keep it as a reminder. Um, but if you're like me, you'll probably lose it and have to call up and say, what did I commit? So we have that there, but keep that too. Uh, we're going to give you just a minute or two. Band's going to play. You can write down what God may be calling you to give. If you're not ready to do it yet, we'll be doing this for the next week or two. We'll just take a remind you that we're still collecting. But uh, encourage you to do it today if you're ready. Let us know. Let God know how you want to partner with Him. How you want to allow Him to be a channel. Use you as a channel to reach others. Just take a few minutes and fill the card out if you would, please.
things, three truths I know about God. God loves the world. God has unlimited resources to reach the world. And that God has chosen us to be the channels to reach the world. Thank you for your thoughtful and generous contributions or, ple- or commitments. These aren't, com- these aren't pledges. We won't be receiving letters from us, nothing like that. These are just commitments you're making between you and God. We'll ask the ushers to come forward and collect at this time. songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon the mount of thy redeeming. I was lost in utter darkness Till you came and rescued me I was bound by all my sin When your love came and set me free Now my soul can sing a new song Now my heart has found a Chapter 9, verse 12, Paul says this, this service that you perform, and again, this is to these folks, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. May the contributions, uh, the work that we do in Willoughby Hills and Cleveland, Northeast Ohio and around the world, not just meet needs, not just spread the gospel, but may it overflow in our expressions of thanks to God for what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with you in these ministries, to be involved and work around the world and here locally. Lord, help us to exercise our faith this month, this year. Help us to exercise it in new and bolder ways. 
and help us to be channels of your grace and your mercy. Maybe channels to the person we rub shoulders with tomorrow, whether it be at work, at home, at school, wherever it may be. May we be channels through your blessings, your message, and the gospel of Jesus Christ flows freely as we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.